Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. Thank you for being here and listening to us, as always. If you haven't already, please consider clicking the subscribe button to officially join the Immigrant Nation community on your preferred podcast platform. You can also become part of this community by following us on social media. Our handle is at animmigrantslife. That's where I share additional content about the episode and sometimes about my life. And if you or someone you know is interested in being a guest on our podcast, feel free to reach out via social media or by sending an email to animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's share your unique story. Now, let's dive into this week's episode. Join us on this cultural odyssey as we uncover the secrets of the past, one story at a time, from a passionate amateur Filipino historian with unwavering pride in his Pinoy heritage. This is one interesting conversation, and I really suggest for you to listen to it. So, let's not waste more time without further ado. Let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a historian who unearths the secrets of the past and a creative comic book writer who brings those stories to life. Half William Henry Scott and half Stanley. Everyone, please welcome Arthur Soriano. Hello, hello. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Aaron. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you for uh, accepting my invitation. I really do appreciate it. And it's an honor. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything before we start? Okay. Well, um, I got my start by sharing pre-colonial Philippine history. Um, and I did that mostly through Instagram at igrut.sky. Uh, one of the things that helped me promote that was I made a large investment in this book called The Boxer Codex. and I found that it was, at least the academic version was not inexpensive. It was very expensive. And I said, well, you know, what kind of person would spend this much money on a, on a book on our history outside of myself? And I said, probably not many. So um, I started sharing that information on Instagram and it, it grew uh, over time. And, and a lot of people said, why don't you write a book? And I said, where do you think I'm getting this information from? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I would like to promote Igrot.sky, Maharlikin Chronicles, which is also an Instagram. I'm also on TikTok. And then, of course, we have the Maharlikin Chronicles comic books, which is MaharlikinChronicles.com, because there's always people that are uh, interested in the science I created a website where they could find the links to the actual studies called precolonialphilippines.com. And uh, what's really neat about that is you can read my take on the study, which I don't always agree, agree 100% with the study, <laughs> but there's links to the actual study. So you can make your own, you know, you can make up your own mind. Beautiful. Beautiful. Why did you name the, the Instagram account Igret Sky? Yeah, Igorot.sky, the, the, the main reason was when I was doing my readings and my research, uh, even before I, I learned about Lorena's uh, genetic study of our people, I was already coming to the conclusion that the beginning or the earliest knowledge we had of our peoples was related somehow or some way to the Igorots. And, you know, the thing about the Igrots are, number one, they were never conquered. You know, of course, they lost some battles, but they were never subjugated by the Spanish. And uh, they also weren't, uh, their ways weren't infiltrated by outside religion. So they kept their original religion. And then as I read about all the different peoples from Luzon to the Oceana uh, Islands and all the way over to Madagascar, there were many similarities to the Igrots. Mm. I just recently found out about the Madagascar that is connected to us. Like, how did they get there? That is so far. 
Yeah. It's amazing. And you know, that's, that's one of the reasons why I do this is because, you know, you can speak to educated historians, uh, Philippine related historians, and they won't know the pre-colonial information. And really it's because I think until 2018, a lot of the information that I know wasn't really out there. In fact, I think the studies have really come along a lot because of genetic studies, um, uh, archaeological finds, and, uh, you know, of course, now we're able to share information so much better with the Internet than, than ever before. So now you can, you can get leads and hints from other people and see how it connects. You know, just yesterday, I found something that was pretty incredible. So yesterday, I saw this, what was it, the name? I think Americans call it the elephant foot yam because the yam is sort of looks like a, an elephant foot. If you were to cut off its foot, it's just very flat and circular, um, like a big piece of cheese. I don't know if I'm describing that well. And the Filipinos, forgive my pronunciation, they uh, pronounce it pongapong flour. And as I read about it, I, I find out that it's endemic to island Southeast Asia. Okay, that's nice. But then I found out they found it all the way over in Madagascar, and they found it in the many uh, Pacific Islands. So <laughs> how did it get there? If you put two and two together, it's a tuber. It's, a, you know, it's like another camotes. But just yesterday I found this out, and I said, well, why does that spread? Well, it's because our people have been have been uh, sailing the oceans and the, and, the, and the islands, to the islands. I love it. Have you always been fascinated with history? I have. You know, it all started uh, probably as a youth. Uh, I was always fascinated by warriors with swords. And so I was always fascinated by the Romans, the Greeks, you know, their different fighting techniques, the different wars that they had. And also um, the uh, Native Americans, you know, I was always rooting for the Native Americans because they were fighting with spears and bows and arrows, not guns. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the people with the guns, they always won. But I was more fascinated with uh, ancient uh, war tactics. So that's sort of what spurred this on. When, when I was in college, I took uh, a lot of classical civilization classes for the Greeks and Romans. Hmm. And so that spurred it on. And then when I was reading about my own history, because they didn't offer classical civilization, classic civilizations of the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was reading my own history, I was sort of disappointed because, you know, they were starting out our history at 1521. And I said, that's such a cop out. We need to find something. <laughs> you know, that's just horrible. Why, why are we starting at 1521? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. We've been around longer than that. And then when I dove into our history and when I found out more about our people, I said, you know, we, I need to share this mm -hmm. and I, I need to let people know about our people. We have a very rich and proud history. And I think that a lot of the colonizers and, you know, even some of our own people that have been, you know, quote unquote, our rulers or leaders have sort of hidden the fantastic lives of early Filipinos or early Austronesians or early Igalots. I like to say Igalot, and I'll tell you why later if you if you ask me about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's we have such a rich history that nobody really understands until they do their their own personal dive into this. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You mentioned that you went to college and you wanted to minor on civilization. What was your major? I studied economics. Economics. I was an economics major. I, I went to school because, you know, like like any other uh, Filipino parent, you know, uh, they wanted me to go medicine. And, <laughs> and my sister actually ended up being a doctor. Mm. And I was going to possibly be a dentist or an optometrist. Mm. But uh, my mentor in high school, I was competing in economics con uh yeah, contests, I don't know what you would call them, competitions. And he said, you know, why Why do you want to be a dentist? He said, because at the time I wanted to be a dentist. And he, and I said, well, you know, because it's a nice, stable business. And he said, well, 
that's not a reason to, uh, to, uh, you know, go into dentistry. You should just, you know, study economics or finance or what have you. And that's what I ended up doing. Mm. So mom and dad wanted you to go to medicine, but then the mentor says, no, dude, you need to go economics. How did you broach that idea to your parents? I'm sure they didn't take that so kindly. Um, they always knew that that I would do be a businessman. So the thing is, is that, uh, you know, I don't want to seem too confident, <laughs> but I, but I am confident without, without, uh, I don't know. Okay. I'm confident, but let's just say this throughout school. This was before the real world throughout <laughs> school. I basically, conquered every goal that I set forth. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say that I was number one. I wasn't valedictorian, but I did pretty well. And I was good at almost everything I put my mind to. So, you know, I think they just supported me at that point because they felt whatever he does, he's going to do uh, well. Mm. Are you a first generation immigrant or mom and dad? Mom and dad were first generation. Where did they come from? Which part of the Philippines? Pangasinan. Pangasinan. I love Pangasinan. <laughs> nice people. Thank you. Yeah. Have, we have Ilocano blood too. So um, Pangasinan is filled with uh, Pangasinan people and Ilocanos. But uh, you know what's funny? Even though they say Ilocanos uh, may be from elsewhere, the genetic studies, you know, the Ilocanos are sometimes coming up 100% uh, Austronesian. I mean, it's close by. Yeah, it is. It makes sense. I, I was I was thinking that I, you know, my mom, she's very fair skinned. This mm-hmm. is one of those stories of uh well, let's just say it's a it's a common Filipino story. My mom is very fair skinned, my dad is darker skinned. Mm-hmm. Um my mom has a small nose and is very angelic, beautiful. And when I was growing up, everyone said, oh, your mom's so beautiful. Oh, your mom's so beautiful. And, and, and people would say that she's mestiza and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's just a common thing with uh, our heritage. Hmm. And turns out she's 100% Austronesian. She has no Spanish blood whatsoever. But no she looks, looks like a mestiza. That's amazing. You know, that's, that's one of those things is that we... We tend to think that people that are light-skinned and look a certain way are not 100% Filipino, but they can be. Mm-hmm. Is, there, there's many variations. You know, like they say, when Homo, Homo sapiens came, there were four archaic, archaic humans. So I would say that leads to a lot of var- variation. Definitely, definitely. Do you touch on this? Colorism is a significant issue in many cultures, most notably in the Philippines. Right. Do you have any insights into the origins of the phenomenon of obsession with light-skinned in the Philippines? Um, well, you know, that's a touchy subject. So I'm going to go ahead and attack it because I'm controversial. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And it leads to a, for a better discussion, but I'm going to do it in a way that most people won't like or don't recognize. So I'm, I'm just going to do it because it's what I believe. Okay. Um, and, but you know, I do it with, with love. Uh, you know, there's, I think when you do things with love rather than with malice, then they can understand your reasoning. And so let's start with this for whatever reason, And I think it has to do with royalty. We have had in our traditions, from what I've read, that there is a fascination with lighter-skinned females. They didn't necessarily say it with the males, but they said it with the females. That's why you have the binokot, you know, uh, women that, uh, you know, are hidden away don't touch the ground, don't see the sun. And so there has been a a fascination with with a fair-skinned lady. But as you can see with my own mother, um, 
it's not impossible to find. There are light-skinned Filipinos, naturally. Um, so there has that, that historic uh, fascination with light-skinned people. Um, so you had the tradition, and then you also can back that up by saying perhaps someone that didn't work so rigorously or out in the field might have light, less, you know, lighter skin tone. So maybe it was preferred because of that. So that's, that's a little bit more common sense driven. So you have the tradition, you have common sense that people that are affluent don't get dark because they're always living a better life. Now let's get into the, um, introduction of the the Spaniards. So a lot of people will say, okay, you know, there was a affinity towards the Spanish and the lighter skin because they were people of power. So if you aligned with them, mated with them, you would produce lighter children. And that mean means that you had more affluence, right? You were, mm -hmm. you were wealthier because you had Spanish heritage and they were the ones that had more money. Hmm. So, you know, people, people wanted to be related to that, you know, and not the one that's, you know, drying the fish or, 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 or planting the rice, you know, getting, planting the rice, you know, <laughs> you're not wealthy if you're out there planting the rice, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so maybe there was that. And then, you know, here's the other one that's not very well known. And, and I, I only say this because I read a lot of our history. And so. If you read our history, you'll find that Filipinos have always done their thing. That is, they hunted, they planted, they fished, right? Or they uh, cultivated um, the, the, the fruits and the coconuts that, that came from the land. So they, all, they could always find a way to eat. They could always find, you know, whatever they wanted, they had. But when the Spaniards came, the Spaniards and the, and the Chinese, they were familiar with a certain way of living because they had been trading with one another for quite some time, uh, you know, through the Silk Road uh, trade or whatever you would call it. And they had a different way of living than our island life. And so when the Spaniards came, they hired and imported a lot of Chinese to do all of the, you know, leather making, the masonry work, um, certain businesses. And, and why would they do that? Why wouldn't they set up their own, you know, retail business and such? Well, the reason they did it wasn't just because they, you know, these business people were close by in China, you know, China's not too far from the Philippines, but the reason that a lot of people don't talk about is the reason why the Philippines was held by the Spanish, one big reason is that that was the door to do trade with China. Now, at some point in time, I can't give you the exact dates. I just know it generally from, from my readings. At some point in time, China closed off trade to most of the world. But they did, they did allow people in China to trade in the Philippines. So the thing is, while it was open and while it was closed, the trade to the rest of the world came through the Philippines. Now, you may say, why did they do that through the Philippines? Well, I can't give you all the answers, but I'll give you one major answer. And one major answer is the Chinese didn't want the Europeans in China. Because if the Chinese... If the Europeans were in China, they would do to China what the Europeans did to India. And so that means they would take over in a mm, sense. Mm -hmm. So the Chinese didn't mind making money, but they didn't want them in their country. Of course. So, of course. You know, the Chinese are pretty proud of their land and ways of doing things. They don't 100%. want everybody coming in. So they were sort of isolationists. Yeah. And so they didn't mind doing the business in the Philippines. So what I'm getting at is, and this is going to shoot back to colorism. The Chinese set up most of the retail in the Philippines. So when you look at, you know, SM and all the different businesses, even, 
Jollibee, you know, even though that's later, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say that that was a result from hundreds of years ago. But the Chinese have been bringing in business to the Philippines since the ancient times. And because that was their business, you know, that ha- what they do, you know, SM has nothing to do with with other than their hypermarket, but has nothing to do with, you know, bangos and, and rice and, and, and coconuts. You know, we were doing all of that business and, you know, since the beginning of time, but they were bringing in more traditional trade. And so when they set up that traditional trade, one advantage that the Chinese had is they had the backing of people on the mainland. You know, like if you, if you can get your supplies from the mainland cheap, then of course you're going to be doing retail better than everyone else in the Philippines that doesn't have that connection. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese have held our retail business and you know major business for a long time. The Europeans they did whatever they did, but they weren't really entrenched to like the Chinese were. And so, if you were trying to be a melting pot. Wouldn't you promote your likeness and people that were sort of like you, you know, maybe mestiza, Chinese, Filipinos, but wouldn't you promote their image so that you, you weren't so different than everybody else? Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you look at the billboards and the magazines at the, and the movies of the Philippines today, aren't they mestiza looking or Asian looking rather than you know, our darkest Filipinos. Mm. And so if you were the person that owned the business, wouldn't you promote someone that looked more like you than someone that didn't look like you? So that's another part of the colorism that I'm talking about. Of course, you can blame the Americans too, you know, and, and, and them doing similar to what the Spanish did. But I think it's Americans, uh, Chinese, Spanish, and whoever else is coming over that's lighter skin that have been pr- promoting their look. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to come down on them. I'm just going to say this simple thing. If you're con- in control of the ad, you're going to promote what you look like. Yeah. It's what you're familiar with, what you're comfortable with, right? right. That's so, beautiful. So, so that's, that's the historic reason of why that happened instead of, you know, just being more blatant than blaming. I'm, I'm saying it was probably, it was much more natural than it was, you know, uh, it, it wasn't as sinister as, as it seems. Mm-hmm. Let's change topic a little bit. I see there's a lot of Filipino artifacts behind you, which is beautiful. I had a conversation with a friend that collects artifacts as well from the Philippines. What's your opinion regarding Western countries bringing back quote-unquote stolen artifacts from the Philipp- to the Philippines, would it be beneficial or someone will just take it over and hide it f- for their private uh, collection? Well, you know, they. I was invited to a uh, discussion on that, an international discussion. I don't know what you would, what the actual title was, but what there is a group out there that is tracking down all of our artifacts and relics all over the world uh it's called mapping of something but we have our artifacts in museums and private collections all over the world and what do i think about that well the reason that it was um spread out all over the world the reason our artifacts are all over the world is because obviously we weren't in control (laughs) you know the Spanish were in control, the Japanese were in control, the Americans were in control, you know, and then finally we gained our independence and we were in control. But before that, these artifacts that you see behind me, these were, I I obtained these through estate sales and things like that in America. And according to their families, they attained them when they came back from the war, um, Different servicemen, you know, they they found a way to get a Kampalan sword or a head axe. And, uh, you know, they had it as a memento of, of their war travels. And so I was able to attain them because, you know, a lot of these old guys are, are dying off or have died off. And then their families sell them. And I see them and it's like, oh, I want that. So I purchase them and I keep them in my collection. But 
do I like that it happened? No, it's, it shouldn't be. Um, how do we get them back? There's some of that happening now, how we do it and, and what means to do it. I'm not sure, but, uh, something should be worked out. I, I, I don't, I don't like it. In fact, you know, at some point, um, these artifacts will go back to the Philippines and I'm planning to be back in the Philippines anyway. So, you know, my, my, my family, um, we've invested in real estate in the U S but my, my aunts and uncles have already been returning back to the Philippines <laughs> and I plan to do the same. So, you know, we, we, we can sell our land here and live good in the Philippines. So why not? That's the real American dream to go back home right. and leave, right? Well, you know, there, let me let me mention one thing that uh, needs to be mentioned, just in case you don't you don't uh, throw me that 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 pitch. Hmm. One thing that I learned about the Philippines is that, and and some people go against me, but I don't know why they would. But I'm going to say <laughs> it anyway. The Philippines is paradise. Okay, what land? Even the you know even the historians say this. What soil is richer than our soil? Okay, and what I mean by that is when you take a plum or or any type of fruit and you grow it in the Philippines versus elsewhere, it grows bigger, faster, and longer in the Philippines than it does elsewhere. Why? Because our soil is volcanic soil. It has the most minerals. You know, it has everything. We have great sunlight and we have great water. You know, we don't have these droughts. You don't hear in Philippine history generally that people were dying because of, you know, the great famine and drought of the Philippines. It, you know, that's we didn't have the potato famine like the Irish did, even though they're on an island, too. <laughs> so 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 the thing is, we have. Excellent soil. We have excellent weather. Of course, you know, we have the typhoons here and there. Um, and we have earthquakes here and there. But as far as weather, we don't have to worry about it being, you know, freezing temperatures. And, and it's not so hot that our land becomes desert. Our, our lands always produce food year-round. What about the seas? When you read about the seas, our sea life around the Philippines between the Visayas and Luzon is the most biodiverse in the world today. Mm -hmm. So according to the historians, we always had more than enough sea life to eat. And before we started trading all of our deer pelts to Japan and so many other places, the mountains we're filled with deer and, and wild pigs, boar. Yeah. We never lacked for anything. And on top of all that, on top of having great weather, the best soil, you know, the best food. You know, you can eat a mango any the, anywhere in the world. It doesn't taste better than in the Philippines, okay? Not even close. Um, even on top of all that, Gold was everywhere. <laughs> Gold was everywhere. You could just find it laying on the ground back in the day. Hmm. And, and even, our, even our, our servants and slaves were wearing gold. So, you know, people say, okay, well, yeah, yeah, you had gold. So what? So what? No. When we were trading with the mainland, what did they want? They wanted gold. We could have anything they could produce with our gold. So don't think that we weren't some awesome civilization. You know what? We weren't ruled by an iron fist. We were free peoples. We didn't enslave one another that much. Well, no, we did a little bit, but <laughs> not in a major way. Not like no. the, you know, and not in also a we allow. If you're a slave, you're allowed to buy yourself out. Right. It's and, not like and, forever. And, right, and, and it was more like uh, servitude. It wasn't like the slave uh, in, in America, per se. Exactly. So, you know, you were sort of like family, in a sense. So mm -hmm. you were like an indentured servant. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Let's talk about your Maharlikan Chronicles. I read that you love discussing the importance of preserving oral traditions. 
uh, do you think oral history is more vulnerable to distortion over time compared to written history? Well, you know, historians don't consider oral tradition as history, but mm. what else do we have? If we want to promote our history, we need to at least go through the oral history and pull out what makes sense. Mm. And so let me give you a version of oral tradition versus history that William Henry Scott also pointed out and put in his Barangay book. Okay, so you have uh, Datung Sumanga, and he, I would assume, was of a sign or Boholano um, in Bohol. I don't know for sure because there was a lot of migration at that time, so I don't know what he would call himself. He's from well, the South. Yeah, let's just say he's Visayan um, rather than be specific. And uh, he was engaged to a, uh, because her name's difficult to, to say, I'm not going to attempt to say it without practicing. So I'm just going to say his princess said, his princess fiance said, in a few words or less, she said, I'm going to do this in my own words because this isn't exactly how she said it. But she said, if you really loved me, you'd go to the land where the people sing like birds and no one can understand and bring me back spoils from that area. Well, that is the oral tradition where Datung Sumanga went to this land where people uh, sing like birds and no one can understand. And he brought back spoils from attacking that land. Hmm. Well, if you study Chinese history, you'll find that in the Chronicles of the Chinese, that the Visayans were attacking China and bringing back spoils from China. And it all happened around the same time. In I think it was the 12th century uh, that this happened. So when you take Chinese annals, which is Chinese written history, quote unquote history, because it's written. And then you take our oral tradition, then you know that it happened. And so, <laughs> so, you know, of course we give a little more detail, but that's what we try to do. We try to take the history of other countries and try to match it up with our oral history, or at least have a story that makes sense. And so if you take the oral history and it says that the guy jumped from like Palawan to Samar, then of course that's not possible. But if they say, okay, this guy was the first one to bring, you know, a pineapple or something like that, then of course, you know, why, why deny that? I mean, that's not such a big deal. Mm. You know, if, if, if the oral tradition says that somebody started something and it's within reason, then, then why not give that that uh, oral tradition some credit for that? Mm. And that's sort of what I do, is I take written history and I take oral tradition and I try to merge the two into one uh, story rather than say, um, well, because someone else didn't write it, then, you know, we're, we're between a rock and a hard place. We didn't write down anything. <laughs> you know, all of our history is is oral tradition. So, why not mix the two and come up with a better story than than to just you know say that nothing happened at all because it wasn't written? No, mm -hmm, that's, definitely. that's stupid. That that's yeah. that's that's stupid. You 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 have to take our oral traditions were repeated by our peoples for generation after generation. You know, it might not be. You know, but, you know, when you tell a story and, and you go around the gym or whatever and you, you tell the same story to one person and then you tell it into each other's ear and then it gets back around, the story changes a little bit. Mm -hmm. But the basic story is still there if they really listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I was watching this uh, YouTube channel called Fall of Civilization and the, the theme was, the, or I mean the subject was Rapapanui, the, their, uh, what do you call this, the big heads. Mm-hmm. I forgot the name. Uh, yeah, the uh, the the. You know, I can't remember the name, but they're they're the 
the big statues that are on the, the big statues, right? Island. And mm-hmm. for ages and ages, the Western, the quote-unquote historians, geologists, and all that stuff, the experts have been asking the the natives, like, how did your people tra- made this like travel this? Because they make it from the side of the mountains, and the mountain right. from the mountains to close to the water, it's a long trip. Right. And they keep on saying, they're asking, asking, and the historians are like, oh, they probably roll it with uh with with logs. Uh, logs and then one and but the natives keep on saying they walk right of course historians like these are rocks they're not going to walk right? right until i think it's 1980s or whatever there's two there's two uh archaeologists or something they found a way to make the statues walk by putting right. rope around and they literally quote unquote walk right right yeah so they 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 tilted them in a way that it's as if the uh, the statue was walking. Yeah, exactly. So this is you know what's really to... fascinating about those statues now that you might not have seen. Mm. Um, I don't, you know, it's it's not totally unknown, but I would say it's a more recent discovery. Those statues, if you dig them up, because a lot of them are just heads. When you dig them up, there's a lot of carvings on the body down below the surface of the ground. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, I don't think so. That's that's one of the more recent uh, discoveries. Mm, fascinating. So, talking about history and you being a natural storyteller, how do you maintain a balance between narrating history and avoiding the inclusion of your own personal opinion? Well, that's where we have Maharlikin Chronicles. Mm. Okay, so let me explain that a little bit. The original or the first issue of Maharlikin Chronicles is 100% history and oral tradition as I read it in other books. And if you read through Maharlikin Chronicles, I have footnotes to cite all of the sources of everything that I wrote. Um, And so in the first issue, it's 100% history or oral tradition as written by someone else in a book somewhere. And now I don't put that in the illustrated comic book because there's not room to do such a thing. It would, you know, add more pages. So as a way to um, document this, I have the Maharlikin Chronicles website. And there, each footnote has the uh, reference to what I'm talking about in, in the comic. So... In Maharlikin Chronicles number one, everything is history or oral tradition as it's written. Now, what I mean by oral tradition as it's written, oral tradition as it's written isn't something that I made up. It's something that I wrote, read in a book. So I can cite that. You know, I didn't get it from from a recording somewhere. (laughs) It's it's already written in a book, and so I just cite that in the in the in my work. Now, in issue number two and three and four, I have started what is called the Dayang of War uh, Adventures. And with Dayang of War, what I've done is I'm taking the character Urduha, which is oral tradition. However, she's sort of history. Okay, let me go back. Dayang Urduha is oral tradition to the Filipino people. However, Ibien Batuta wrote about her, so she's history. Now, is she controversial? Yes, she's controversial. There are people that want to say that she's not real. But if a well-respected historian wrote about her, then now she's history. And Hmm. so you can't really take that away. You can disagree. You can say he was lying, but he was still there. And our people also have oral tradition of her. So that's sort of what I do. I say, okay, Ibien Batuta wrote about her. We know about her. That's our history. Whether you want to believe it or not, you know, I could tell you. It's just like, you know, anything. Uh, The Roman Empire, you know, people can write about it and tell about it but you don't have to believe it. <laughs> you know, they may have uh, statues and stuff, but you don't have to believe it. So the thing is, 
is that, well, let me get back to your original question. Everything that's Maharlik and Chronicles denoted as Mahar Maharlik and Chronicles, and you can't see it uh, unless you're reading the comic book, but I'll show it to you. Our listener won't be able to hear it. But if you see right there on top, mm -hmm. it says Maharlik and Chronicles. And so every story underneath Maharlik and Chronicles or in that section of the book is history. But when you get to Dayang of War, that's historical fiction. But I say historical fiction allows me to show you some of our traditions that you might not otherwise know. No. So let me give you an example of in one of the comics. Um, well, actually, it's an issue number four. So I'm going to be giving you a sneak preview. Oh. How about that? <laughs> hot, hot off a press. Yeah, hot off the presses, before the presses. So here's something that I thought was so very fascinating. And I, if I just told you, it wouldn't be exciting. But when the chroniclers were in the Manila area, they observed a uh, subordinate meeting up with a boss or master. And what they did was they, they uh, greeted one another and the subordinate placed one hand or two hands on their cheek and they did a slight bow. Now, to, to describe that, You know, it doesn't seem so exciting, you know, but to me, that's historically significant because I had never read that anywhere. Mm. So when I found that, I said, oh, my God, I just found like the new mono, you know. So, I, you know, someone met up with a superior and they bowed with one or two hands on their cheek. You know, so I do, I put that in the comic book in the Dayang of War story so that you'll know that that was one of our man mannerisms back in the day. It might not be for all our people, but I put it in there because we need to know, even if it wasn't widespread, we need to know what our traditions were just because it's just that important to me. And I don't know, you know, there's going to be people that say, okay, well, you know, that was only for these people, not those people. And I was like, well, you know, that's why I put it in the Dayang of War Stories because the Dayang of War Stories is going to share the cultural finds, but you'll know that that's not history. That's historical fiction. Hmm. So I'm giving you an example of, what I found and how I present it in a story, because if I were just to write what I read, you know, a subordinate met up with his master and that's how he greeted him, then, you know, that's not so exciting. But when you see people do that over and over, you get that that's one of the things that they did back in the day. Yeah, beautiful. I want to ask you, why did you opt out for writing a comic book instead of a novel or a nonfiction book? Okay, well... I didn't get heavy into pre-colonial Philippine history until I had more free time and the ability to afford it. Mm. <laughs> okay. So what does that mean? I wasn't a young guy when I started finding out all this information. Mm -hmm. When I started reading about our history, I wasn't 20 years old. And so... I said, you know, it's great that I know this, but the youth need to know this. This would have been great information to know when I was a kid growing up that, you know, that we could be proud. You know, when I was a kid, I was like rooting for the Native Americans over the Cowboys. <laughs> you know, I should be rooting for Lapu Lapu and all these other guys. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the thing is, is we need our own heroes. We need to know that we come from paradise. You know, we're not. Yes. The country doesn't have, because of the way things are set up, you know, and that's a whole nother story, but because of the way things are set up, we can be considered a poor country or people that have many poor people, but really we have very rich land. Hmm. You know, it's not, it's not uh, distributed the way it should be distributed. It can be distributed better. And, and that's a whole nother topic, but hmm. let's just say we, actually come from paradise and we actually 
lived awesome lives before the gun. So that needs to be known. And until you know the strength of your heritage, your history, and your blood, you might think somebody else is better than you, and you're they're not. <laughs> mm, beautiful. <laughs> you, know, oh, awesome. you know, just take Pacquiao, for, for instance. He fought in so many weight classes. Nobody did what Pacquiao did. You know, yeah. you can hit his politics or his... his uh, you know, his own personal beliefs. But, you know, people are going to have their own personal beliefs. You didn't live his life. Yeah. So whether you love him or hate him, he did great things. Filipinos can do great things. And you need to know the truth about your people before you decide somebody else is the better way. Mm-hmm. And I, I need, you know, I'm basically just, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling you any lies i'm telling you the truth you need to hear the truth mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking of our people i read many times that you are very passionate about calling us igolot instead of austronesian or something else right let's talk about that okay well okay well i did my studies right and i found out that the people from the philippines that are 100% Austronesian are essentially the Igorot tribes, okay? The Bontok, like I had mentioned earlier, Bontok, Ibaloy, Ipugao, Kankanae. Um, they're 100% Austronesian genetically. That's not to say there aren't other people that are 100%, but in the study, that's who they identified as 100% the Igorots. Now, as you get farther away from Luzon, the percentage of Igorot or Austronesian in genetics goes down. But you even have, you know, the the the, the Bisaya and the Tagalogs, they come up generally 90% Austronesian, okay? And then when you go as far away as Samoa and Tonga, they come up generally 70, 75%. You know, even though they're huge, they still come up 70 to 75% Austronesian. So the thing is, is, you know, as you get further away from Luzon, you have people with less Austronesian genetics. And so whatever they say, you know, I'm not, there's so many, you know, there, I think, Whenever you make a statement, there's someone quick to go against you. Okay, of course. So, you know that that's just the way it is. Okay, mm. so let let you don't have to believe me. I'm just going to tell you what I know, and then you can either take it or not. But if the 100% pure Austronesian is an Igorot, and you want to say, okay, well, the Igorot is is a word that's being used for certain people. And they might not like that you're appropriating Igorot. Well, Igorot is not even a Filipino word anyway. <laughs> it was it was uh, drawn up by by I think a Spaniard somewhere in in writings. Hmm. But the endonym of Igorot, which is a Filipino word but isn't really used, is Igolot, which means of the hill or of the mountain, depending on who's doing the translating. Hmm. And so. The reason I like Igolot is because, number one, it's like Latin. It's a dead word. Nobody's using it. And number two, you know, it goes to describe those who are 100% Austronesian. So since Austronesian was made by a German guy, why are we all so happy to, you know, that's the other thing. We need to be proud of our own stuff. Mm. Why are we looking to a German to name us? Why are we looking to a Spaniard to name us? Filipino, Austronesian. It's like, why can't we just use our own language, our own words to name what's 100% us? And you know what? I'm okay. If you want to call yourself a Filipino and that's Filipino, you know, that's fine. You know why? Because there can be a German guy that lives in the Philippines and he can be one he can be Filipino because he's a Filipino citizen, right? But his genes will never be 100% Igolo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Let, I think we should close with that. 
Mr. Soriano, thank you so okay. much for coming to the podcast. Before we close up, do you have any last remarks or anything you would like to say? Yes. Um, you know, I do a lot of reading and I'm trying to promote our history in a positive light. I want people to be proud of their stories. I want them to be proud of where they're from. I want them to know the things that most people don't know. I want them to know the things that you can only find if you read scientific papers uh, and and spend you know over three hundred dollars on a book, which most <laughs> people won't do. And so you know, why should all of this be hidden from you know a kid that wants to be proud of his heritage, um, you know that needs to know the truth? Uh, one way to do that, and is the reason why I created my Harlequin Chronicles, is because when I was a kid. I was reading comic books. I was reading, you know, books with images. And we need to create our own heroes. We need to know the own truth about our history. And if you want to do the scientific stuff, you know, I'm always adding to precolonialphilippines.com, which is a great website to get your your uh, start on uh, the history and the the genetics and science of of the Philippines, and then. If you just want to know the highlights and 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 learn about our history uh, in a fun way that you can, you know, during the holidays, you can read these these books to your kids, um, you know, pick up a copy of Maharlikan Chronicles on eBay internationally or MaharlikanChronicles.com. We're available on what do they call that in the Philippines? I'm think I can't think of the name right now, but it's on our website. Uh, there's like an eBay in the Philippines where you can buy. Uh, all kinds of things. So we're mm. we're on there, and uh, we have locations in the Philippines and the U.S. that are uh, opening up all the time, carrying the carrying, carrying the comic books. But you know, a lot of people like to do on online. So if you want to feel very safe, go to eBay because you know mm. they guarantee everything. Awesome. And if you want to just go to straight to our website, maharlikinchronicles.com. Awesome. Again, Arthur, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Take care. Thank you again, Arthur, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.